Demonology Lesson 2, we call this the Order and Habitations of Demons. I would encourage you, as we were just praying there, don't let this spook you. Don't be nervous. I had, uh, I had one dear church member last week said, Pastor, I just want you to know this is, this, these lessons are creeping me out. And I said, why is that? She said, well, you know how you always say whatever, we, whatever you teach on is what you end up getting. And if we teach on healing, you see healing. And if you teach on uh, grace, you receive grace. And if you teach on forgiveness, you get faith for forgiveness. So what happens if you teach on demons? And I said, you're not going to see demons. So this is just an educational thing so we know our enemy. So don't get creepy like that. Don't get spooked out. And just set, set your heart to learn about your enemy. Set your heart to know what, he, what he's doing. And uh, you'll have the equipment you need to cast him out, rebuke him, resist him. And so with this second lesson, we want to talk about the orders and habitations of demons. We don't want to be superstitious and to think, if I talk about it, they'll come. So this is not filled of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Pastor, please don't talk about it. What we need to know is how they operate. So we can also, if we know how they operate, we can recognize when they're trying to operate on us, when they're trying to influence us. We are not so demon conscious in this church that everything that goes bump in the night is a devil, but there are demons out there. Apparently, there's a lot of them if they can buffet six, almost seven billion people on the planet. And apparently, there's a lot of them if one man in the Bible can be possessed of over 2,000 of them, and there'll still be plenty of demons all around the region for Jesus to cast them out everywhere else too. But you've got to know greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world, and the devil is the one that is in the world. But if you understand how they operate, if you understand what they're doing, if you understand their influences, and you can know when to resist it, and you can also, to encourage you, you can recognize when this is not you. This is not me thinking this. This is not in my heart. This is not me wanting to do this. This is something demonic. Since when do I want to kill somebody? Since when do I want to kill myself? Since when do I want to be a homosexual? Since when do I want to have an affair? Since when do I want to rob a bank? Since when do I want to quit God? Since when do I want to curse Jesus Christ? These are demonic influences that don't come of just flesh, that don't come of just a bad day. And when you can recognize a lot of this stuff, you can really begin to put up your guard. You can really begin to aim your prayer life against it and recognize, all right, it's not going away instantly, but it's also because I'm under heavy attack. I can, I can just pray this thing through. I can wait this thing out and be encouraged. Uh, one of the things the devil does is he gets you convinced that it's you. And then he convinces you because it's you, God will never help you. How could you ever think that way? You're the one making me think this way. How could you ever want those things? Devil, you're making me want these things. I don't want these things. I don't even want to want to want these things. But boy, do I want these things. He's such a slick enemy. That's why we cannot be ignorant of him, all right? Let's look at our lessons here. The demon realm is as busy and active as the natural realm. You think about major cities, you see all the coming and going, all the coming and going. Years ago, I, I did some, I call it mission work, but really just served a church in Key West, Florida. And one night when we were down there in prayer, I had a vision, and in, the, in prayer over Key West, Florida, I saw this dark cloud and it, it tapered, and Key West is a small island, it's about two miles by seven or eight miles. And I saw in this vision, I saw Key West from the distance, and there was this thick cloud, it was a black cloud over the, over the island, and it tapered out over the water, and then it got really thick over the middle of the island, and then it tapered out again. And in the vision, I said, what is that dark cloud? And it was almost like in the vision, I was able to zoom in on it, and it, the dark cloud was demons. 
And I went, whoa, there's so many demons over that little island. From a distance, it looked like a thick black cloud. And of course, out on the perimeters, it was thin. There's not many people out there. The, the spirit realm is very, very busy, very active. Things coming and going constantly. When we were in Nigeria and, and with Pastor Okwokwo, we were in his compound talking with a woman and Pastor Okwokwo one night, and these three lights flew over us. And I at first thought they were three birds. Because, and then I think, does Nigeria have perfectly white birds that fly in this neat pattern very low at 10 o'clock at night? And I said, whoa, what was that? And Pastor Koko said, what was what? I said, three little things just flew over us. And he said, that's Ika. And I said, what, Ika? He said, that's just demons. And for them, it's just so common. And I said, what do you mean just, just Ika? He said, those are demons. Somebody has put a, ve- a hex on somebody, and those are just demons traveling to carry it out. I said, is that common? And the woman said, oh, yeah, that's just Ika. And it was as if they were saying, oh, that's just an airplane, or that's just a tractor, or that's a deer. To them, it was just as natural and as common. And Pastor Okwoko said, if those rest upon your house, calamity will come to your home. He said, but we're Christians. Don't worry about it. They just fly over us. It was the most bizarre thing. To them, it was just as common as it's calling for rain tomorrow. That's just how active the spirit realm is. And here in America, we're so educated, we don't see it. Here in America, we're so intellectual, we don't see it. But it's very busy. The spirit realm is very, very busy. I was talking with someone yesterday, and they asked me, they said, do you think I have a devil? I said, not necessarily, but if you were to ask, do I think you've yielded to familiar spirits? Sure, we all have. We've yielded by thinking on those thoughts. We've yielded by acting on what we thought they told us to do. And honestly, the fruit of it is, how do I tell if it's the Holy Spirit or a demon spirit? What is the fruit of it? Has it glorified Jesus and made you advance? Or has it made you a little kooky and made Jesus look like a fool? That's how you judge these things. It's very easy. But the, the demon realm is as busy and as active as the natural realm. The demon rank and file is very organized and even unified. And to some degree, it even puts the church of the living God to shame. The demon realm is very organized, to some degree unified. We're not going to say total unification, but there is a rank and file. And we see that from Ephesians 6, 12. This is our first verse. Paul said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against. I like to always pause there and point out, we don't wrestle with one another. The Greek word means to grapple. When we understand grappling, jujitsu and mixed martial arts kind of thing, it's a literal combat. And with wrestling, there's no instant winner. Wrestling indicates wrestling. When you wrestle with your kids, it isn't instantly done. You watch the UFC and those guys wrestle and grapple. It isn't an instant match unless there's a knockout. But that's not, a, that's not wrestling. That's a punch. We can talk about judo or jujitsu. It's it's wrestling, it's grappling. This word alone lets us know this is something that is going to be perpetual. You might instantly rebuke a devil, but he will come back. You might be able to uh, get the spirit of suicide off of you, and it might take a few days or a few weeks. It will come back. And you'll wrestle again. Now, none of that is to scare you. None of that is to dishearten you. All of this is said to prepare you. If you know what it's going to be like, you can prepare your heart and be excited about it. When you, when you go for a hike, 
You want to know how strenuous it is and how many miles it is so you can adjust accordingly and you can make the, the adjustment. And if you can know in your heart, you will wrestle. We just don't wrestle with each other. That's where we make the mistake. We, we snip at each other. We bite at each other. We think it's, it's this person's fault. We think it's my wife. It may not be this person or the wife. It may just be a demon messing with your stuff, turning you against each other. But it says we wrestle against principalities and against powers. We wrestle against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Notice there's four things we are going to wrestle with. There's no instant TKO. There's no instant knockout. Even Paul, he said in one of his letters, he said, I desired to come unto you, but the devil resisted me. Well, there's some wrestling going on there. And so we have to prepare our heart to know that this thing called Christianity, you're never going to have the complete victory, but you have the victory. As soon as you get one, and this is how it's been in my life and I'm sure in yours, you deal with something, you get the victory over it. Then there's a, a wonderful reprieve from God. And it's, it's like life could never be any better. And then you reset the clock and you get to go through something else. You get to wrestle against something else. You get to obtain the victory over something else. We are guaranteed the victory and we can, by faith in Christ, live in victory. But that does not mean we'll never have any problems. That does not mean we'll ever have any opposition. We're guaranteed it. Everywhere Jesus Christ went, he had opposition and he had to deal with demons. He had some uptime. He had some downtime. And we're no better than our master. And so you just have to be prepared for this. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It doesn't mean you're backslidden. It just means you're a Christian serving God, living in a fallen world with rulers over darkness of this age. There is a hierarchy within the demon realm, and that's what we want to focus on here. This verse shows us the rank and file, beginning with the lowest petty officers called principalities. That word principality, it just simply means a place of authority and a state it's used both good and bad. Uh, also in Jude where it talks about the angels which kept not their, their principality or their first estate. It's the Greek word archi, but it just means a, a position. And apparently what Paul called it was this is their lowest positioning. And what we understand this to be is these are the common demons. These are the demons that move in and out of church services. These are the demons that move in and out of your home. These are the demons, these are the lowest ranking demons called principalities. Now that word sounds really fancy. You would think this is the one that's about 50 stories tall, breathes smoke and has horns out of his back and out of his arms. And this is the little guy. This would be the guy that looks like a bullfrog. This would be the guy that looks like a little monkey, if you've ever seen demons. This, is, this would just be a dark shadow, a wispy vapor. Blech. But honestly, that, that's enough to bind most Christians. That's enough. That's the discouragement. That's the suicide. This is little guys. That's enough to, to set most Christians off course. Because most Christians, unfortunately, we're getting better, are not rooted and grounded enough in the word to stand and resist, and having done all to stand, to stand some more. So from there we move up, ascending to the generals. Uh, excuse me, well, I'm skipping some here. Let me go back to the verse. Against powers. So you've got principalities, then you go up to the next step, which is powers. And this just means something greater than these low guys. These are more powerful demons. They have more influence. And it would appear 
that these guys are over the little guys, the principalities. So powers are over principalities. Maybe, I don't know, I, I don't have the insight into the demon realm that say someone like Brother Hagen or Brother Summerall did or, or Bob Larson or, I just look at it from the scriptures and I, I base this on what I hear others who have more experience preach. It, it may be that you have this giant demon called suicide and he's able to dispatch these little guys to kind of run an industry of suicide. Or it could be there's a giant demon called abortion and he's able to dispatch these little demons to motivate people. There's a demon that comes upon someone to provoke them to abortion. If there's demons involved in that, just like there's demons involved in suicide. And nobody wants to kill themselves. Even animals don't want to kill themselves. It's self-preservation. But so this next rank and file up is powers. Then you get into what's called rulers of the darkness of this world. So that, that sounds even grander, rulers of the darkness of this world. So the darkness of this world has rulers over it. Any arena that you can think of of darkness in our society, in our world, they have a ruler over it. Pornography, there's a ruler over pornography. Sex trade, there's a ruler over the sex trade. Hollywood, we know there's a ruler over Hollywood. The homosexual thing, there's a ruler over the homosexual thing. The political demon, that there's, that's a ruler. These are high-ranking, very high-ranking demons. These, I don't believe, will be the ones that ever possess people. They're just, they're just too massive orchestrating things. It's just like you'll never see a general on the battlefield. You see the lieutenants and the captains and the privates. That's who's on the battlefield. But you see this ascending order. And that brings us to the last one, what we might call the grand general, spiritual wickedness in high places. Spiritual wicked in high, high places. That means they're, in a sense, they're over nations. They're over kingdoms. They're, they're not ever getting down with the nitty gritty. They're not ever down on the human level. They're orchestrating things from high up. In fact, this is what I believe when the Lord Jesus was taken by Satan to see the kingdoms of the world. It was at literal kingdoms. Did he show him India? Did he show him Egypt? Did he show him the Indians of the Americas? Or was it a spiritual kingdoms and the rulers over those spiritual kingdoms? And the devil said, this is all mine. And I'll give it to whoever I want to. And if you'll bow down and worship me, you can have it. I don't believe the devil took Jesus Christ on a tour of the world to see the pyramids, to see the Buddhist temples in China. I don't believe that. I believe he showed him in the realm of the spirit, all of his kingdoms and these high places, because he said, these are mine, my authority, my dominion. I overrule this and I'll give it to whoever I want to. We know that was what Jesus came to do was to steal or to claim back all authority that the devil had gained from man in the garden. But what he, the devil has since done is he's established rulers. Any good leader establishes rulers to delegate his authority to active or activate influence. As a pastor, I delegate authority so my influence is more widespread. Any good leader knows how to do that. The devil has done the same thing. He has delegated his authority all over the world with a rank and file so he can influence more. In that regard, the, the devil, and as a false angel light, is more wise than us. We often try to do everything ourselves rather than delegate, rather than to help or get people to help us. Usually it's pride that makes, you know, we want to do everything ourselves. But in that regard, the angels of, of darkness are very wise. 
They know how to delegate and they know how to follow orders. Now, I'm sure there's, there's biting and growling among them. They're demons. They're not exactly submitted out of love. I think they're submitted out of torment and fear. But I don't personally have any insight into that. All right, let's move on here. Matthew 20, 12, 45 does tell us that some devils are even more wicked than others. That's when Jesus said, uh, when a devil is cast out of a man, he roams dry places seeking rest and finding none and decides he'll come back to the, his previous home, a human being. And he says, if he finds it swept and garnished, he says, I'll go back home and I'll bring, and Jesus said, he'll bring with him seven demons more wicked than himself. So apparently there is rank and file of demons that are wicked and others that are less wicked but they're all wicked. And if you've got a wicked demon, what's, you don't want a worse one. Be, perhaps be content with the wickedness you have and get it out of your life. Satan is called the God of this world. He is a God. He's not the God. He's a little g God. He's the God of this world. He is captain over all demon entities. The, world, the whole earth is his domain. We can never forget that. We are living on his territory. We don't glorify him. We don't give him praise. But we have to realize that when there are people in our community that want what he has to offer, he has every right to be here. He obtained that dominion from Adam in the garden. The book of Job lets us know that Satan roams the whole earth. Also, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, Satan took Jesus and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. These kingdoms were Satan's to show and to give. Keep in mind, Satan is a spirit. He's not over natural kingdoms. He's over spiritual kingdoms. And his spiritual kingdom influences natural kingdoms. Just like God's kingdom should be influencing natural kingdoms. God's kingdom used to influence the kingdom called the United States of America. God's kingdom, thy kingdom come, it came and it made America. But for the last 50 years, we have slowly been changing our allegiance to the devil's kingdom, and it's affecting our nation. Amen. Some evil spirits have a king over them named Apollyon. You find that in the book of Revelation chapter 9. And I just, I kind of throw all that out there. You can make an in-depth study on all that, but I want to show you the order and habitation. This is how they operate. It's not just randomness. Everything the devil does is with a plan. It's with a purpose. He focuses, he watches, he, he, can, he can investigate, he bides his time, he's watching you and I. It's almost like Santa Claus. He's watching you, he makes a list, he checks it twice. He knows if you're naughty enough, he has entrance. He knows if you resist him, he can have no entrance. But what I want you to see from all this is how organized the demon realm is. It's not just random chaos. The reason the enemy can be successful in our life is that he is patient and he has studied you and he has studied me and he knows how to push one button and cause us to just totally just And that's why I teach us over and over again, those two or three or four areas of your life that with one push of the button, those are the ones that you get your five verses for and you pray them and you study them and you pray them and you study them and you shore up your weaknesses. One of the things we like to do as Americans because we've been taught by a culture is to accentuate the positive. In fact, that's a Walt Disney song. We want to brag about what our strengths are and keep our weaknesses in the back corner. Your weakness is how I will own you. I'm thinking judo. When I, when I did competition judo, I would feel you out and figure out what you weren't good at, and that's what I would attack over and over and over again. 
Why would I attack your strengths? It's your strength. But as long as there's a weakness, I'm going for it. Any good sports star, any good football team, they'll study their opposing enemies' weaknesses, and that's what you exploit. So you can go ahead and rest in your strengths all day long, and you'll still never have success because the enemy will always attack your weaknesses. So let's move on here. The three habitations of demons. This relates back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. The three habitations of demons. Everything has a home. <laughs> the rank and file of demons affects their seat of authority and the area of their influence. Think about that statement. The rank and file of demons, it affects their a seat of authority and their area of influence. Obviously, if you have a higher seat of authority, you have wider influence. If you have a lower seat of authority, you have less influence. The school the classroom teacher has influence over her classroom, period. The president, who has a higher seat of authority, he has influence over all of America and a big chunk of the free world. Same with demons. The lowly demons on our level, they can only influence one person at a time. And when you resist them, they'll leave you and then they'll go attach themselves to somebody else for a season. So they can only be in one place at a time messing with one person. But the higher you go up this chain of command, the broader their influence. The demon that's over pornography, he's affecting anybody addicted to him. The little demon of lust, though, can only attach himself to one person at a time. Their rank determines their habitation. There are three habitations of devils. Number one, the highest is nations. Now, obviously, Satan is over the world, but your next step down in the organization of creation are nations. Even the demon realm is organized. The next step down from Satan being the God of the whole world are the major rulers of darkness that are over nations. The, the demons of highest rank are assigned over nations. Uh, there is a demon over Tibet. He has manifested himself. In fact, uh, I've got a book that talks about a Reader's Digest, what do you call him? Reporter, author who writes stuff for Reader's Digest. Back in the 50s, he had heard about the demon worshiping in Tibet and how they worship the God of death. And so as, a, as a, just a reporter, not necessarily atheist, but just a secular guy of the 50s of America, he traveled to Tibet to witness the Buddhists worship once a year and conjure up the God of death. And he said they were able to disguise him and make him look like a Tibetan monk. And he, this is in this book, and it's, it's an excerpt from Reader's Digest, 1950-something. And he said they did all their incantations, a big circle out in the woods. And he said, before long, he said, I couldn't believe it. I began to see an entity begin to manifest in the midst. And he said, this is what they were, they were pulling on and crying out to, this God of death. And he said, before long, he became fully tangible in the midst. And he describes him in depth. He said he had children's skulls draped all over him. Well, the Buddhists sacrificed their children. And he had this huge head like a dragon. Actually, it's the very same icon you see with the, the Chinese dragons when they do the thing in the streets. Looks just like that. Where do you think they got that from? Actually, our cover art for this series is going to be one of those. It's very similar to it. Actually, happens to look just like a samurai mask. Actually, happens to look a whole lot like the Native American totems. I wonder if there's a common thread through all of this. They all kind of seem to look the same. If you know any much about, uh, you know, social studies in, in world history, you think about the totems 
of the Northwest Indians and the, what those faces kind of look like and the, the Chinese dragons and what those faces kind of look like and the Japanese samurai masks and what those faces kind of look like. They all seem to look the same, but you're talking about three very separated cultures worshiping demons that manifest themselves and that's what they begin to make idols out of. Idols are representations of demons. So this thing began to manifest and receive these offerings. And uh, anyway, I've got the book. It's scary. It's creepy. That was the God. That's the demon over Tibet. He controls Tibet. That's what they told him. We worship him. He's over our nation. And once a year, when they do enough wicked, demonic stuff, he'll manifest for them and make himself corporal or corporeal, tangible. All right. They rule over a nation and direct the demonic activities among the cities and people of that nation. All right. The Bible speaks of the prince of the kingdom of Persia and the prince of Greece, the king of Tyre and the king of Babylon. These are not literal kings. We know this from the context of these passages there in Daniel and Ezekiel. We know these to be principalities. We know these to be mighty demons because in one place, uh, Michael, the angel, the archangel, he said, I tried to come unto you, but I was withheld by the prince of Persia. Well, there's no natural man that's going to stop Michael, the archangel. He's going to fly right through him. He might kill him as he passes through him just to do it. Get out of my way. So what stops an angel? A real prince. A real ruler. Now, don't think prince like beautiful prince, like Prince Harry or Prince William. We're talking about someone with authority, but not the chief king. That's why they're called a prince. Satan is the king, but he has princes that lord under his kingdom for him. These are references to demons of the highest order and the nation over which they have power. You can go study those out there in Daniel and Ezekiel, the king of Tyre. In fact, we know that the king of Tyre goes on to talk about Satan after that. Lucifer, how thou didst fall, thou Lucifer, star of the morning. But he starts off talking about the king of Tyre. We have to keep in mind there is a demon or a massive a demonic force over every nation. There's one over America. I don't know what it is, but there is. Because there, there always is. You know for sure that Haiti has a demon over it of witchcraft and voodoo. In fact, they sold themselves to that demon 100 years ago to throw the French off of them. And they basically, the leaders, the tribal leaders, committed their nation to Satan if they would set them free from colonial power. And that is to this day why Haiti is so poor, so demonized. And they, have, they share an island, I think, with the Dominican Republic. Um, that may not be accurate. My Caribbean geography is fuzzy. It's an island. It's only half Haiti. You cross the border. There's nothing that, you know, there's no big spot striped line that says Haiti neighbor. It's just, it's just, it's just demographic. It's just a geographic line that you can only see on the map. You cross over, you're into wealth because they have invited a demon to be their God over their nation. You cross over the people of that sovereign nation, they don't worship those devils, nor are they committed to him, so they enjoy wealth. It's, it's, it's just how it works. You can see it over and over and over again. You can cross from one nation to the next, feel a total difference in the air, because that demon's power stops where the people say, this is where our nation stops. Even in that regard, those demons are still submitted to people. Amen. So that brings us to cities. Demons of the next lower rank are assigned over cities. 
The Bible tells us that Satan has his seat in the city, had his seat in the city of Pergamos. Now, it may not be there anymore. That's modern day Turkey. That's one of the seven churches of the apocalypse in Revelation chapters two and three. But he told that church, I know where you dwell, where Satan has his seat. How would you like to pastor in the town where Lucifer himself has set up headquarters? I think it's going to be tough sowing and reaping and preaching. Every service, you're going to be, what is wrong with my people? Nothing wrong with the people. You just happen to be called to pioneer a church under Satan's throne. You're going to have some opposition. Modern cities still have devils assigned to them. San Francisco, no doubt, is homosexuality. Atlanta is avarice. I know that one from the word of knowledge. Cookville is religious, seducing and deceiving spirits. We know that from Pastor Vaughn's vision years ago and by just the fruit of what we see around here. Washington, D.C. is politics. And it depends on where you go. There's going to be something that controls a dominating spirit. Now, there'll be other things that go on there, too. Every city has homosexuality in it. Every city has avarice in it. Every city, uh, we, we have just discovered that here in Cookville, we have a, a swingers club, 8,000 people strong. Swinging, wife swapping, partner swapping. Here in Cookville, 8,000 strong. That's not the prominent spirit over our region, but it seems to be doing pretty good. 8,000, I don't think they all are from Cookville. They may be just perhaps swinging Cookville. Because that's one-third of our city's population. That means one-third of you. and Now, you're not. But that would statistically mean one-third of you would be swinging. That's not the dance swing. That means swinging from one sex partner to the next. But that, that spirit, though it's working here, it is not our controlling spirit. These spirits work to affect the people and even define the focus. Listen to that again. These spirits work to affect the people and even define the focus, ambition, and culture of the region and those succumbing to their influence. When you talk about a spirit over a region, it just constantly gnaws till it affects everybody. You don't even have to want to be affected by it. It's going to affect you. You don't have to want it. You can totally disagree with it, but it will affect you. Here in our region, and this is what we've been starting, beginning to teach on Wednesdays, is religion. And that religious devil, without a doubt, is the premier ruler of darkness over our region. It affects, he affects you and I every day, though we don't want to be religious. We're not intending to be religious. We're not aiming to be religious. It is always just pushing on us. In that regard, it's almost like ultraviolet radiation. You don't want to be affected by it, but you live under it. You live under power lines. You're going to get what they call stray voltage. You don't want to be affected by it, but you are. You work around radiation. You have to wear a dosimeter badge so you can tell how much stray radiation you've picked up. You don't want to be affected by it, but you're going to be affected by it. That's the same thing with religion. If you lived in Atlanta, you would all of a sudden feel a heightened sense of fashion. Here in Cookville, we don't care much about fashion. There's nothing wrong with that. I would much rather be here where we don't care much about fashion or name brands, I should say, than live in a city like when we lived in Indianapolis. There was such a drive for avarice and wealth and obsession over name brands and how much does this cost and how much does that cost. It's not me at all, but I, I, I yielded to it. It didn't mean to. It's just there. And I'm convinced in just in parts of the country that don't have other things to do, they just Go after money and clothing. And there's nothing to do in Indiana, so throw your money after clothes and name brands. 
in Japan, there's, they, you can't grow anywhere, so you just throw your money at technology because they can't expand anywhere. They go up. They can't go out. They have mountains and oceans around them. So these things kind of work hand in hand to define who you are as a human being. That's why we are constantly preaching the word to keep you balanced. You leave here tomorrow, that spirit starts talking to you. You come back Wednesday, we recalibrate you. And it's a constant work. That's why you can't skip church because you don't bother skipping the world. You don't bother skipping food or entertainment. You have to come back to church to be washed and recalibrated and washed and recalibrated and washed and reset. Like plaque, if you don't brush your teeth every day, it builds up. If you don't dust every week before long, you look like your granny's museum or your granny's attic. You have to dust every week. This stuff builds up. That's why we keep coming back to church. Their influence of these demons over cities is ever present and it is unflagging. With religious spirits in this region, it doesn't matter what we teach, no matter how pure our doctrine is, we will somehow make it religious. That religious spirit will take no matter how pure the truth is and give it a week or two or three, you'll make it religious. You don't mean to. That's just what it does. We could be Catholics, you'd make it religious. We could be word of faith, you'd make it religious. We could be Baptist, you'd make it religious. That's what a religious devil does. We don't rub a rosary, but perhaps our faith confessions. I got to get my 100 faith confessions in. Rub a bead, rub a bead. It, but your, your, your prayer abacus is in your heart. And you've gotten religious in that regard. So this thing is ever-present, unflagging. You see, your, your biggest prosperity churches are in cities of avarice like Texas and Atlanta. That demon has influenced those ministries and help make a new gospel to where those ministries in Texas and in Atlanta, they're known for prosperity. That demon has successfully influenced that church's outflow. People. Our last arena of demonic habitation is people. And this is where most of us, this is where probably 95% of us will just have to deal with our spiritual warfare. Don't worry about trying to defeat the region. Don't worry about trying to defeat the nation, the demons that is, until you can get the victory over what buffets you on a daily basis. Demons of the lowest rank are assigned to people. There are spirits of suicide, depression, murder, anger, pedophilia, etc. More than one person I have met had um, the demon of anorexia ministering to them. And I, I knew a guy up in Indianapolis named Tommy. And Tommy was a spirit-filled Assemblies of God guy, a good-looking kid. And uh, he told me one time, he said, uh, he said, I used to be anorexic, and I used to make myself throw up. Now, is that bulimia? Uh, anorexic, he'd starve himself. Maybe he was bulimic. One or the other, doesn't matter. They're both devils. And he said, he said I didn't think anything about it, but I was in, a, in one of our prayer groups. He said, and one of the ladies from the church laid hands on me, and a voice came out of my mouth and said, I don't want to leave. Now, this kid's born again, spirit-filled, going to a church, loves God, but he is so obsessed over his weight, he was either anorexic or bulimic. He, he, this demon was driving him to do this, and, and he, he said, whoa, what was that? And the woman said, you come out of him. I don't want to come out. I don't want to come out of him. I control him. I make him do what I want him to do. He's obsessed. And he said, he told me, he said, they had to cast it out of me. I didn't even know I had it functioning perfectly every day except for the fact that his eating habits were obsessive. That's a demon. 
I also witnessed to another couple and they were doing the same thing and had to be set free from it. But they, they attach themselves to us and you can be spirit filled and have another spirit. That's why we live lives of moderation. We don't get into inordinate affection or obsession. We stay centered. That is why we come to church over and over again to be recalibrated, to be recentered. Every utensil in the scientific realm has to be recalibrated because of its usage. The more you use something, the more it gets a little off. Tires have to be rotated and rebalanced. Any, skill, any tool of skilled measurement I use as a geologist would always have to be recalibrated weekly, quarterly, monthly, annually, biannually. It's just part of it. And you are the same way. And the thing about human beings, we can tell you to pray in tongues. And if you're not careful, you can get into a ditch and get a demon praying in tongues. Because you get so obsessed with it. I haven't prayed in tongues for three hours today. I haven't prayed in tongues for three hours today. And you get so weird out there. We've got to come back and recalibrate and preach a message that says tongues is not that important. Loosen up. And if you're not careful, you get over here and you say tongues is not that important. Come back. Tongues is important. <laughs> and it's really just an amazing thing as Christians. The life is keeping it between the ditches. And the demons love to pull you into the ditches because you're of no value there. You have no influence there. Devils ultimately want to possess humans. That's what their aim is. And they will get a hold of you. I have honestly cast more demons out of Christians than I have heathen. And to further add, I've cast demons out of more spirit-filled Christians than non-spirit-filled Christians. Don't let that freak you out. Just say, Lord, I submit to you. I resist the devil. Until they are permitted to, they simply, until a demon is permitted to possess someone, they will simply buffet, minister, torment, harass, and hinder the person. If the devil isn't resisted, he will continue to edge his way into that person's life. Uh, with my friend Tommy, no doubt it came to, as, a, as a thought, you're fat. Well, that might be a truthful statement. I am kind of chubby. But if he doesn't keep his mind focused and centered, say, well, I just need to watch what I eat. No big deal. He might yield to it. You're right, I am fat. You should starve yourself. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a very subtle, subtle pulling you off of your, your base, off of your, your, your rock of salvation to where they own you. And now they're controlling some area of your life. He will continue to edge his way into that person's life. Demons seek to inhabit human bodies because a body seems to bring rest to the unclean spirit. Wherever you find people, you will find demons. That's why back in the 80s, they used to go and try to rent airplanes and get into skyscrapers and try to pull down strongholds. Pastor Vaughn used to say, leave them up there. I don't want them down here on our level. Leave, leave them in the skies. It's not biblical to do it anyway. As Pastor Vaughn and Brother Hagen would point out, if anybody would have done it, it had been Jesus, and he left them alone. He just cast them out of people. He didn't even bother dealing with the one over the city. When he wrote the letter to the church at Pergamos, he didn't say, and bind that Satan that's in your city and run him out of town. He just said, I'll be with you and comfort you. Well done, good and faithful servant. He that endures to the end shall be saved. He let Satan keep his seat there. They got to live somewhere. And as long as you or your neighbor submits to them, they get to live, they get to live here. Keep in mind, we're not going to win the whole world to Jesus. When we're raptured out of here, there'll be plenty of demon-possessed people left behind. And he'll probably be your neighbor, which means there's always going to be demons in your neighborhood. Amen. Even if you were to make some weird commune like some of the people did 100 years ago, like Zionsville, Indiana, and try to gather all the Christians together in one accord in one piece, it'll last about a day. 
Then a demon will work its way in there or some pervert will come in and sow himself like leaven in the lump and affect the whole thing. And the next thing they'll build is a jail in their little commune of spirit-filled utopia. And then you'll have folks leaving the camp to go across the border to the dry county to get their whiskey. It'll last all of about one day and then the devil will begin to do his thing again. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just trying to tell you reality. Wherever you find people, you will find demons. They thrive on the sins of man. Since they desire habitation, they will move upon humans until someone yields their being over to the demon. And there will always be a someone. We just have to make sure we are not that someone. So real quickly now, examples of demon influence. This is going to show us how they're over nations, how they're over cities, how they're over people. Demons seek to influence man in every arena. Health. Jesus cast, excuse me, healed all that were oppressed to the devil. So there's an example of demons over people. Doctrine. Doctrines of devils. That would be, I almost want to come up with a fourth type that kind of, I don't want to say industry, but maybe avenues. You know, they're, they're over nations, they're over cities, they're over people, but there also seem to be demons that do industries or, or segments of society. There are demons in the church with this new heresy going on. There's always been heresies. That's a demon promoting doctrines that influence people. Then you have industries that aren't really over cities and not really over nations. They influence segments of society. We might could maybe make a justification for a fourth habitation that's more of an industrial, but that's just me thinking as I teach this right now. You've got doctrines. That's not necessarily a demon over a city. It's not necessarily a demon over a nation. It's a demon trying to promote his agenda through doctrines. Government. Many dictators are demonized. I would say almost every uh, dictator is demonized. Communism is purely demonic. National demons seek to affect the leaders of that country, like Pol Pot, Hitler, Amin, Chavez, Castro, and Il. These are demonized people. And my personal opinion, as I am a student of world history and read a lot of books, every dictator basically was so possessed of the spirit of Antichrist, you could look at their nation and you could see a microcosm of the Antichrist. They controlled everything. Now, it was confined to their border, whether you're talking about Idi Amin in Uganda, whether you're talking about Pol Pot in Southeast Asia, whether you're talking about Hitler in Europe, you had that spirit of Antichrist possess them. And what you saw was a future, I mean, a miniature example of what's going to happen when the church is gone. But they could only do it in their nation. Hitler could only do it in Europe. And he only succeeded for about three or four years. Uh, and Idi Amin was only maybe 10 years at most. But you see a little microcosm, a little example of what that spirit of Antichrist wants to do when he's given the chance. Ultimately, what ended all those guys was the prayer of the church. That's what ended all of it. That's what's going to end communism in China is the prayers of the church. That's what ended communism in Russia was the prayers of the church and, and Europe too. Education. We know the devil influences that. Many godless doctrines are taught to children. Hitler perfected this. With the Hitler youth, the first thing Hitler did was throw God and the Bible out of schools and began teaching evolution. It was always wondered, how could those, how could those Nazi soldiers, those 19 and 20-year-old soldiers, just bayonet little Jewish babies and not think anything about it? So it was very simple. He had taught them as children that Jews were monkeys in the evolutionary chain right after blacks. He taught blacks were monkeys because that's the evolutionary common sense. Jews were next since they had no blacks in Europe. Jews are the problem. 
and they're monkeys. They're subhuman, and uh, we don't care, and there is no God. So it was nothing for a 22-year-old demonized Hitler soldier to bayonet a Jewish baby or just shoot it in the head. And we have the same thing working in America. We've kicked God out of school, and we teach evolution. Amen. Family. Family can be used to pull you away from God. Friends. Your friends can make great ambassadors for Satan. Entertainment, the tapestry in Poland, the demon on my doorstep. I shared with you, uh, I guess it was Sunday, about I saw the demon on my doorstep when I was studying the Bible 10 years ago. And I said, what are you doing? Get out of here. And a couple weeks later, I was at Walmart and it turned out it was the demon from Harry Potter, the little short guy. I had never seen a Harry Potter movie, had never read a book, and I, it was the exact demon. In fact, I was going to cast him out of Walmart, but then I realized it was a foam rubber display to promote the DVD of Harry Potter. The tapestry in Poland, I was in Poland in 96, and we took a tour of Castle Wawel there in Warsaw, 700-year-old castle or something. There was a huge tapestry. Literally, the tapestry was probably the footprint of our sanctuary. That's how big this tapestry was. That tells you how big, how high the ceilings were in this castle. There was a demon. It was a battle of angels and and. Demons. It was a biblical tapestry, but the demon was the exact demon from a movie I'd seen as a kid. The tapestry was about 500 years old. The movie was from the early 80s. And I remember as I was 19, I went, I saw you in a movie when I was a kid. Now, either that director and creative guy came here and took a tour and got his inspiration from you as a tapestry, or you've been around a while and you keep appearing to people. Creepy. Entertainment. Philosophy. Regions have different cultures and philosophies. People often change when they move to a new arena, excuse me, area or community. My friend in California, a friend of mine, spirit-filled guy that I served with at church, moved to California for a summer, came back saying, you know, Chris, I just, I'm not convinced Jesus is the only way. I said, man, you're an idiot. What demon have you been listening to? This is our doctrine. You're gone to California for four months to do a job, and now you come back not even sure if Jesus is the only way? It's a, it's a regional philosophy. It's a demon. And my friend, my, when I told you the story about my friend who moved from South Carolina to Atlanta and all of a sudden became obsessed over money. Hey man, you're Turkish. You're just happy to have two PhDs, a master's, and a BS, and now you want a BMW too? You're just happy to be in America when I last knew you. And now all of a sudden, you got to have a half a million dollar house and a BMW 7 Series. That's the Atlanta culture. That's a demon's influence. Psychology. Psychology can never deliver a Christian. Its founders were demonized, hypersex, deviant humanists. And that is the origin of psychology. To this day, the study of psychology is of great importance to occult practitioners. Music. Satan started off as heaven's worship leader, and all of those instruments are still in him. Music is very powerful, so be careful. I was talking to a musician this week, and uh, he was quirky, but he loved God. And I said, you know how you musicians are. You're all weird. He said, amen, brother. Something about musicians, a true musician. I can play the trumpet, but I'm not a true musician. True musicians are weird. And I don't know what it is, but they're just weird. Without a lot of discipleship and a lot of somebody ironing them and getting the wrinkles out of life, they'll go to heaven weird, loving Jesus. 
but that's the influence of demons. Father, I thank you for this second lesson on demonology. I pray that our time here has been blessed. May we not be afraid of demons, but may we recognize their influence, resist them by submitting to you, and cast them out when need be. Father, allow us to not be weird with this, but just educated, informed, enlightened, aware of our enemy's tactics. Bless our time here, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.